Let's take our Bibles out and let's turn to the third book of the Bible. I have a little one this week having a birthday, and often when we have birthday parties and sing, we say this chant, are you one, are you two, and then you go all the way until you get to say stop, of what a value it is to teach the young people, especially the books of the Bible. So, since we're in a study of Route 66, going through the Bible, 66 books and 66 sermons, I just thought that it might be good for us to recite the books. And when we get to right now, this is going to be really easy, but at least for the young folks, they're going to start learning the Bible books. And they're going to be able to take their Bible and open to it. So can, for their sake, can we at least begin with the first book and we'll slowly read through and stop when we get to the book we're on, all right? We're going to get maybe into a habit of this so that maybe us old folks as well will just be reminded at least of the order of books, all right? Let's try it together. The first book of the Bible all the way till this one, all right? Here we go. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Stop, all right? Just like we'll say this week for the birthday party, stop. And next week, you'll know where we'll go. So kids, make sure to have your Bible and open up to the third book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. We're in the book of Leviticus. And what did we learn about God from the book of Genesis? To quickly review, God is intent on doing what to mankind? Bless man. God made the world for him. And God was going to bless Abraham and redeem fallen mankind through Abraham. We learn in the very beginning about this wonderful God who created all things, that he is ready to bless man. In the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, we learn that God was going to make himself known by delivering his people to serve him. At the beginning of the book of Exodus, People don't know about God. Pharaoh said, I don't know who this God is you talk about, Moses. But by the end, God had made himself known through the mighty deliverance of his people. Now, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's consider the book of Leviticus where we find the God who sanctifies. The God who sanctifies. Let's pray together. Father, as we get to know you better because you told us about yourself, which is just a wonderful thing that you've done so that we can be sure of some things and sure of things about you because you're what matters most. We ask that you use these moments together to fashion our thinking about you and to cause us to live rightly before you. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. When the saints go marching in, when the saints go marching in, oh Lord, I want to be in that number, the trumpet. In elementary school. It's a fun song. It's a catchy song. And it's a song that really holds out a glorious moment. When the saints go marching into the holy city to be with God forever. That is just wonderful to think about. Now do you realize that not everyone celebrates that? Not everyone even knows about that. Certainly back in Moses' day, which was in the 1400s B.C., 
didn't sing that song because the world was full of gods, like the gods of Egypt. And there were few people who even knew about the true God. There were few people who knew anything about the fact that God wants fellowship with man in the Garden of Eden. But the Bible tells us that even though man had turned against God, that God was going to graciously redeem fallen mankind for his own glory. He was going to do so through the man Abraham. He promised that he'd make Abraham a great nation and that he would be his God, that God would bless him. And we saw in the book of Exodus, God began to fulfill his promise because the nation of Israel went from 70 to over 600,000 people. God made himself known in the earth by delivering them from Egypt and by leading them toward the land that he had promised to give them. And you recall that on the way to Canaan, they stopped at Mount Sinai, where they received instructions from God. That's where they received the Ten Commandments we talked about last time. They also received commandments about the tabernacle and the priests who would serve in the tabernacle. Now, as we went over it last week, perhaps we... But regardless, do you understand why God gave so many instructions about something known as the tabernacle and the priests who would minister there? Why did God do that? We don't have it today. Why was it for that, that time? Well, the answer comes by one of the names that we have for the tabernacle. And it's the name, the Tent of Meeting. God, meeting. God says, there I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. So God said, I am going to meet with you at that place. You get to the very end of Exodus. You could turn back one page to Exodus chapter 40. It says this in verse 34. Then the cloud covered the Tent of Meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, that must have been an amazing moment. Because, young people, you remembered that the Lord had gone before the people in a pillar of cloud by day and by a pillar of fire to give them light at night. That's how God had led Egypt. But now that cloud descends on the tabernacle. That's really amazing. Have you ever thought about what that must have looked like? Being an Israelite standing there looking up. My family often has vacationed in the Daytona Beach area. And for whatever reason, we often do during the Daytona 500 weekend. So we often are down there. And as we look up into the air, there's the Goodyear blimp. And the Goodyear blimp is such that you just think, wow, that's amazing. And it's not like you can just do whatever you want and, and avoid it. I mean, it's right there in the sky, and it's just calling for you. Look at me. I'm the Goodyear blimp. And for all those years, for all that time, Israel could look up and see the cloud, see the pillar, and say, there's the Lord leading us. And now they see it descend upon the tent of meeting in the midst of their camp. That must have been amazing. Why? Leviticus 26 tells us this, that God said, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and will be God, and you shall be my people. You know, that had to have been one of the most fascinating things 
as an Israelite, to hear that God wanted to dwell among them. But there's an issue that comes up in that verse, because God said, my soul shall not abhor you. You know, why did God say that? Why would God make the choice to abhor someone, to loathe them? Why would he do that? I think to understand the context of the book of Leviticus, to understand the drama here in this, that there is a vast difference between God and man. Obviously, God is more powerful than man because God made all things. But God is perfect in every other way as well. God knows absolutely everything. God knows the best way to do anything. God chooses the best and most valuable thing every time. God never makes a single mistake. He's perfect in his greatness and his goodness. And when you're perfect like that, it puts you in that category is called holiness. Holiness. Holiness is an umbrella term that encompasses all the perfections of God. If you're going to sum up God in one word, you would say holy. It's what the seraphim sing before the heavenly throne, day and night. And it's one of the many ways that God describes himself in this book. Again and again, he says... For example, Leviticus 11.44, I am holy. You say, what does that mean? Just like in the song we sang today, there is none beside me. To be holy is to be one of a kind. No one else is in that category with him because he is perfect in every single way. And it's that dynamic between God and man that is the essential background if you're going to understand this book. God is holy, but his people are not. You recall that after God delivered his people from the land of Egypt, while Moses was up on Mount Sinai, the people led by Aaron worshipped the golden calf. Even though God had shown himself strong in delivering his people, they essentially said, well, we haven't heard from him, so let's try something else. And God was not happy. Israel was on thin ice with God, especially Aaron, who had led them in the worship of the golden calf. And God was, destroy, he was determined to destroy Israel and start over with Moses. So that's the context we have. Things between God and his people are not good. So when God says here in Leviticus that I will not abhor you, that is very gracious for God to say because they have gone after another God. It is so wonderful that God would promise to dwell among them. But how can a holy God dwell among an unholy people? Not only do we learn in the book of Leviticus that God is holy, but we also read that God is one who sanctifies. Leviticus 21.8 says, I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. The holy God makes people holy. He is a God who sanctifies. 
So that's what we're going to consider as we look at this book together. This book has two parts, the first 10 chapters and then 11 to the end of the book. And the first 10 chapters, we see God's people coming to the Lord. In the second chapter, we see, or the second portion, we see God's people living before him. So just two portions. The first is about the movement to the Lord, and then the people living before the Lord. What do we learn? First, this morning, we'll see this. God makes the way for sinners to draw near to him. God makes the way for sinners to draw near to him because God made the way for Israel to be accepted before him. Take your Bibles, look at Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. Let's begin reading the book. The Bible says this, The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Okay, just where we left off in the book of Exodus, now we begin. Glory cloud is just- God says, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you bring an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. What we're going to learn in these first seven chapters is that sinners need a sacrifice to draw near to God. The sacrifice was a way of God's people showing devotion to God. These people were supposed to bring a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, even in saying that, that sets up a dynamic. God is not bringing sacrifices to us. These people are bringing sacrifices to him. There's the dynamic. There were five primary kinds of sacrifices. They're actually summarized in that seventh chapter of Leviticus. You can turn to Leviticus chapter 7, verse 37. This is where the Bible says, The law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on that day when he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. So all seven of Leviticus are summarized in those offerings, five primary offerings, and they're given for two primary purposes. Three of them show devotion when there is unbroken fellowship between God and man. So the burnt offering showed total surrender to the Lord. That's what we find in chapter 1. When someone offers the burnt offering, it's like he's saying to the Lord, I am yours. I'm yours, completely. Nothing's left. The second offering, which is the grain offering, expressed dedication of one's person or his property. It's like saying to God, everything I have is yours. Is at your disposal, whatever you want. Then you have the peace offering, which celebrates fellowship with God. It's like saying to God, everything is good between us. There are no problems between us. And it's celebrating that harmony between God. But then there are also two offerings that show devotion to God when there has been broken fellowship. So you have the sin offering. That was an appeal for forgiveness for the sins that were committed. Chapter 5, verse 5 and 6 say this. It says, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he's committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin he's committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, for a sin offering. 
You say, what happens when he does that? Verse 10, the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin he's committed, and he shall be forgiven. You see, that offering was appropriate when someone sinned, and there was God. You also have the guilt offering that shows one taking responsibility for the wrongs he has done. So if a person were to steal from another person, he would have to return what he stole, and that with interest. That offering was about a person taking responsibility for the wrong he had done, for the harm he had done to someone else, and he wanted to make that right. So the sacrifices were were given for two purposes. They were for times when God's people were right with him, or when God's people were not right with him. But this is what you need to notice. God made a way for his people to be accepted before him, no matter what. There was always a way for the people of God to be accepted by God. And that's really reassuring. Say, why? Because you and I go through hard times in relationships all the time. We know the frustration, the pain that comes from broken relationships. We know what it feels like when we think, I don't know if this one can be mended. It seems like there's a wall up. It seems like we're at odds and we'll never get through. We'll never be friends like we were. That's hard, isn't it? You know, in these first seven chapters of Leviticus, God is making it plain that there is always a way for his people to be accepted before him. God never says there is a wall and there will always be a wall. I will never forgive you. He doesn't say that. He always makes, here, he has made a way so that you can always be accepted before him. So while you may think with this other person, with this neighbor, it may never work out, you never have to think that would be the situation with God. Because he's made a way that you could always be right with him. And that is really wonderful news. Especially to this people of Israel and all that they've been doing. Secondly, as we go for chapters 8 through 10, Not only do sinners need a sacrifice to draw near to God, but we see sinners need a mediator to draw near to God. And this is where we learn about the priests. The priest was a go-between for the sake of fellowship between God and the people. And the priests served three primary functions. The first one you might not think about, but you remember that Aaron and his sons wore the breastplate with the stones, and they were to represent the people to God. The priests were to intercede for the people. Of course, we celebrate that in the book of Hebrews where we learn that Jesus is ever interceding on our behalf. That was a function of the priests. Secondly, the priests were to teach the people. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 11, it says, You are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So priests were also teachers. Lastly, and probably what is primary in our thinking, is that priests offered sacrifices. That's really most of what you see in the book. They're always about offering sacrifices. And we read in chapters 8 through 10 that Aaron and his sons are commissioned to serve the Lord as priests. 
And what's unique about this book is it's very different from the book of Genesis and Exodus. You read through Genesis and Exodus and you think this is great reading. Lots of stories, lots of drama, easy reading. You get to the book of Leviticus and it's just command upon command upon command, which that's exactly what the last verse of the book says it is. Commands, commands, commands. But there's a story in the midst of the book. That's what we're going to focus on right now. The story that comes in the book of Leviticus. Right in the heart of the book, we see Aaron and his sons are commissioned to do this priestly work. They're ordained. They have to go to the tabernacle and stay there for seven days in a row and not go home at night. And at the end of this time, they get everything prepared to offer sacrifices to the Lord, a sin offering and a burnt offering. And the people gather there around the tabernacle for this big event, chapter 9, verse 5. They're all gathered for this event. You say, what happens? Well, let's read it together. Chapter 9, verse 6 and following. Moses said, this is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. That's a pretty promising start to the service. The glory of the Lord is about to appear to you. Watch this. Then Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer for a sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. Verse 8, so Aaron drew near to the altar and he did exactly what he'd been commanded by Moses to do. You say, what happened when Aaron did that? Go down to verse 22. Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all. Moses said what happened. And it did. Say, how did it appear to them? Watch. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Wow. Imagine that kind of happening behind us. I mean, that would just be amazing. Like in the days of Elijah later on and consumes the offering. They shout and they fall on their faces in worship of God. That is to show them all that God has accepted their sacrifice. They did exactly what he said. They brought the offering to be accepted by the Lord and he showed them that they were accepted. Wow. But don't stop there. Go on to chapter 10 because it all changes in a moment. The story goes on. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Now what's going to happen? Verse 2, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. On the very first day of temple service, fire comes out from the Lord twice. Wow. You say, what do we learn from from this? 
at the very base level, let's at least say that God takes worship very, very seriously. And there are acceptable ways to approach him, and there are unacceptable ways to approach God. Aaron did exactly as he was commanded, but his sons didn't. So when God gives all these details, he is very, very serious about them. And I think this primary, primarily points to one significant truth that is typified in the sacrifices and in the priestly office. It is Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to that through me. Only Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the, of the world. It is Christ who offered himself without blemish to God. And all the background for that, when we get to it in the Gospels, is found here in Leviticus. It all has to be done a specific way, a perfect sacrifice by a priest. And it's God who says it needs to be this way for people to be accepted. And the good news is that sinners can draw near to to God through Christ alone. That's what we get in the first ten chapters of the book of Leviticus. Now let's go to the second portion this morning. As we learn that God is the one who marks out the way for sinners to live a holy life before him. God's the one who marks the way for sinners to live a holy life before him because God tells Israel how to be holy. And it begins in chapters 11 through 16 by God teaching symbolic holiness through object lessons. This is some of the strange material of the book of Leviticus. Say, why is this here? This is here as an object lesson. This is here to teach the people. So chapter 10, verse 10, it says, You are to distinguish between holy and common, between the unclean and the clean. God makes up categories in these chapters of things that are clean and things that are unclean, of how to handle childbirth, of how to handle illness. Why does he do this? Well, to teach, teach people how to be discerning. Chapter 11, verse 47 says, To make a distinction between the clean and the unclean, between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. You say, this is all very, very strange. It is. But it's trying to get people to make decisions about things. That can be a hard thing. Have you ever tried to umpire a baseball game? You say, it's, it's just a pitch. Yes, it is a pitch, but it's either a ball or a strike, and you've got to call it. And in God in these chapters is teaching people, is it clean or unclean? Clean or unclean? And people are having to again and again and again make decisions. You say, how valuable is this? Because we know that God's going to later change this in the book of Acts chapter 10, where God tells Peter that everything that he has made is clean. Don't say it's unclean. Go ahead and eat. So what God is doing is trying to teach something. He's trying to teach discernment. If you're going to live a life of holiness before God, it requires discernment. In other words, everything can't be gray. Everything can't be, well, maybe that's okay. That's not the kind of life that he wants for his people. Where, oh, if it's okay for you, then I guess it's okay. That's not what God is going for. He's teaching people this or that, this or that. He does that on a personal level 
In chapter 16, he's going to do it on a national level because God teaches his people about atonement. Chapter 16 is one of the most significant chapters of the book where on one day a year the high priest would go into the most holy place and offer a sacrifice before God to atone for his sins and for the sins of the people. It was a yearly reminder that God's people need atonement for their sin. And the people couldn't see what was happening inside the the most holy place, but what they did see was the high priest would also take a goat He would confess the sins of the people, lay his hand on the goat, and he would send that goat outside of the camp. It was known as the scapegoat. And it was to show everyone. It was an object lesson. These are your sins. They're placed upon this animal, and the animal's sent away. The sin you have has been removed from you. What is God doing? He's making an object lesson for all the people to know there is a way for your sins to be removed. So he teaches the people symbolic holiness by object lessons. Then we come to chapters to the end of the book where God is going to teach moral holiness in every area of life. When you read through these chapters, there's no stone that's unturned. Their worship, their family life, their sexuality, their social life, their business life, their dress, their justice system all have to meet God's standards. And when we think about things in our society that people value, kindness and love and justice and goodness and right, all those things are rooted in what God says here. God is the one who determines all those things in the way things ought to be. In these chapters, God repeats the Ten Commandments that were given in Exodus chapter 20. God in this chapter Uh, this section of the book is going to give the second great commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. That wonderful, loved, golden rule that is so often quoted comes back to the book of Leviticus. Because God is teaching his people how to be holy people. You say, why? Because, remember, God is the one who sanctifies. You say, what children? He sent his Holy Spirit into each of his children to make them holy, to sanctify them. What God is doing is making you and me more holy. So there's actually a lot of truth to the song, Go Marching In. You say, why are they saints? Because it is God who sanctifies. We learn that in the book of Leviticus. Let's pray. Father, as we consider this, help us to realize that it is so wonderful that you have delivered us, as we learned in the last book, but it is wonderful to realize that you are changing us so that we will be acceptable before you. And Lord, that is a process today as we become more like you, we become more Christ-like as we become more godly. And that's a process that you'll complete one day when we're with you. But Lord, it is such a delight to realize that the life of pain and sin that we know too well is one that you don't want for us, but the life of joy, happiness, and holiness is what you determine for us. So, Father, as your Spirit sanctifies us, we pray that we would submit ourselves. We pray for that, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen.